tune in to the Family Industrial Complex podcast here on Revolution Radio, Studio B, every Wednesday, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Get fit, empowered, physically, mentally, and spiritually. The Secret Kindergarten is here for the young children of the world. The best program on the radio for kids. Dealing with the most important topics in the whole universe. Fairy tales, music and movement, numbers, plants, animals, fun, colors, insects. Take care and cast your ears out to catch a story from the world of other young things. Reach out, up, under, and over. Sing a song. Talk about feelings. Just remember the magic word. The magic word is no. Step on into the secret kindergarten. Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Revolution Radio. We, we, we did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyal? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others will take. But as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given rights, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. All right, good morning. Good afternoon, good evening. Let me turn that down a little bit. Uh, welcome to the show. It's Saturday afternoon. Uh, this is a show called Free Association. Uh, it's four o'clock. In the northeast of England, in the UK, uh, Newcastle upon Tyne, it's zero degrees outside. I've just put the heating back on, and uh, I'm going to wrap myself up in a quilt for the rest of the day, I think, probably, and not go anywhere near outside. Uh, but it's 11 o'clock on the east coast in the States. It might be a little bit warmer in some parts of the States than zero degrees. Uh, welcome to the folks that are in the chat room. We've got we've got a few people in the chat room. Uh, Lizzie was in there. Willow, Doc, 
Doc Lenny Time. Who else? May Street was in there. Uh, Captain Fred. So hello to everybody. Memes as well. Um, yeah, somebody just posted that there's been a tsunami warning. Uh, there's been an earthquake off the coast of the Philippines, 7.7. And they've issued a Japan's issued a tsunami warning. Now, I, I don't really comment on tsunamis, but there was one in 2004, uh, Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, uh, that I knew about about a month beforehand. Uh, due to due to my inability, due due to my uh, wide openness to psychic stuff at, the, at that particular point in time. So I was living in London still. I remember wandering around London uh, with just with this feeling that that two hundred and fifty thousand people were going to die. I assumed an earthquake. I assumed fairly soon as well because it felt like it was close. I don't know how I knew that, but it was—it felt like it was fairly close. And this is the beginning of December, so I was about three weeks or four weeks out from from being correct. <laughs> Ultimately, I don't really want to be correct on those types of things, but uh, it's one of those things where if you get the feeling there's going to be a huge amount of people dying in somewhere and there's no real other explanation other, other than a an earthquake at that particular point i assumed earthquake but it was earthquake followed by tsunami uh but it drove me nut it drove me nuts for a couple of weeks because there was nothing i could do about it there was literally nobody i could talk to about that so i wandered around with with all this stuff going around in my head for a couple of weeks, wondering how to stop it from happening. And there was just no way to stop it happening. So I decided at that point, I didn't want to know in advance about tsunamis or earthquakes or mass mass killings. I'll just deal with them as they happen. Because if there's nothing you can do, there's no point in knowing in advance. And if you're just a, just a guy wandering around London, then there's no point in knowing in advance. Anyway, that that's that was my thought on that. I don't know anything about today's. I'm not predicting 250,000 people dying again or anything like that. So I'd, I've got a show lined up that includes uh, a a piece by uh, an interview of Whitney Webb by Clayton Morris, which happened a couple of days ago. And I found it interesting. It's a, it's kind of a, a US security threat piece. So vaguely connected to tsunamis and earthquakes, but not, not in a specific way. This is more of a technology problem. So I think what I'm going to do is just play this piece it's about 25 minutes, and then we'll have a conversation. Uh, we'll have a conversation with the chat room, or we'll, if if the doc's interested in coming on, we'll bring the doc on for the last half an hour of the show or thereabouts. Or we'll just have a conversation with the chat room or talk to myself or ramble. 
anything that makes sense for a radio show, really. It has to involve sound of some sort, but that's about as much as the rules are on this particular show. Here we go. This is uh, this is Whitney Webb. Experience a massive cyber attack that will hit before the year 2025, which will lead to a massive collapse of the banking industry, infrastructure, and so much more. How do they know this? It's unbelievable. Someone who's been following this very, very closely, and it ties even more directly into the story that we've been covering here on the show about the CTI League files, the Michael Schellenberger uh, released files about the uh, cyber spying on Americans. Uh, we're going to get to that part of the story with independent journalist Whitney Webb, who I'm thrilled to welcome back to the show. Whitney, welcome back to Redacted. Hey, it's great to be here after a, a long absence. Thanks for having me back. Of course, we wouldn't miss the opportunity. So thrilled to have you back here. So let's talk about this World Economic Forum idea that at the second in command at the World Economic Forum that we are going to see a massive cyber attack hitting before the year 2025, pointing out, you know, in, in great detail, yeah, like this is going to happen, so you better be prepared for it. Why are they saying this and who are they going to try to point the finger at? Right. So this was said at the WEF annual meeting earlier this year in January by uh, the WEF managing director, Jeremy Jurgens. And uh, Jurgens, as well as the WEF itself, has been involved in a series of simulations for several years now that I'm sure a lot of people in your audience are familiar with uh, called Cyber Polygon which has been directly affiliated with uh, Russia's government, as well as some of Russia's biggest banks and some of the biggest commercial banks um, in the world, and also backed by a lot of uh, U.S. federal agencies, which is ironic when you consider, you know, all the about alleged, alleged Russian hacks over the years. They're very willing, under the guise of the WEF, to uh, collaborate with the, you know, supposed hackers um, responsible for everything bad, you know, for se several years ago. Um, so that's quite revealing. Um, but aside from Cyber Polygon, there's a lot that the WEF seeks to accomplish um, as it relates to the cyber realm. And they've been collaborating in a lot of ways with these same ba big banks and also American intelligence agencies in unprecedented ways that has not really gotten any coverage over the past several years. And a lot of this is housed within a public-private partnership the WEF manages called the World Economic Forum Partnership Against Cybercrime. And uh, these uh, this particular organization, uh, back a, a few years ago, gamed out with the Carnegie Endowment, um, along with the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, the European Central Bank, so some of the biggest central banks in the world, as well as some of the biggest commercials in the world, like Bank of America and J.P. Morgan, um, how essentially the U.S. financial system was due to be uh, the victim of a massive cyber attack. And if you're familiar with how things have been going in the U.S. financial or banking system recently, uh, things are not in a very good state at all. And regardless of if, in, you know, if there would be or will be a cyber attack in the near future, um, the banking and financial system in the, in the United States is in uh, deep doo-doo, right? So right. Uh, if you're the big banks and the intelligence agencies, you want to avoid what happened after the 2008 economic crisis where there was unprecedented anger at Wall Street, because the whole hope and change Obama uh, psyop essentially is probably not going to work again. So how do you allow that collapse to happen? Because it has to happen in such a way that the banks and the government are essentially blameless. Well, have a cyber attack happen and you can literally blame any any nation state or group 
uh, for that hack. And we know this because of what WikiLeaks published right before Julian Assange was completely silenced and then later uh, arrested and dragged out of the Ecuadorian embassy in London, uh, Vault 7, uh, which revealed things like the Umbridge program, among other things, that U.S. intelligence and other intelligence agencies that are affiliated with this WEF partnership against cybercrime have the ability uh, to place the fingerprints of any nation state actor they wish, including Russia, China, Iran, and really North Korea, any other group uh, as well, uh, not just nation states, put their fingerprints in a hack they actually commit themselves. And this is very significant because this offers, you know, these intelligence agencies unprecedented ability to have uh, to conduct false flag operations in the cyber realm. And uh, this group specifically has a lot of solutions aside from, you know, things with the banking system that they cannot really justify implementing unless there is some sort of large cyber attack. So what does the WEF partnership against cybercrime want? Um, they're very open that they want a regulated Internet and they're essentially seeking a policy that was uh, efforts were made to implement during the Obama administration in the U.S. They called it a driver's for the Internet. Um, so essentially what this um, public private partnership at the WEF is pushing for is for every person's access to the Internet to be tied to a digital ID uh, or a government-issued ID, but presumably a digital ID just because of where government-issued ID programs are all uh, going essentially around the world. And the goal of that, of course, if your ID is linked to your internet access, uh, intelligence agencies know exactly what media you are consuming uh, in terms of you know, what you read and also what you post online. And that, that has been the goal for a very, very long time. Um, so... People aren't necessarily going to consent to that unless uh, they are made to believe that anonymity and privacy online are dangerous. So um, how exactly can you convince people that that needs to happen? Well, you have some sort of event where anonymous hackers um, do something online that causes major disruption globally, and then the consent can be manufactured through fear and panic, as, as is often done, uh, that anonymity and privacy needs to be eliminated, that we need to know exactly who is doing what online to prevent a calamity of that scale from ever happening again. And this is the exact solution that these guys have been cooking for a very long time, and the intelligence agencies involved are Israeli intelligence, British intelligence, and then the U.S. Secret Service, uh, FBI, and Department of Justice. And you have several of the biggest uh, banks in the country, like Bank of America, um, involved directly with this group, as well as major U.S. tech companies like Microsoft and Amazon uh, partnered with all of this. And uh, this is exactly what they're seeking, and they have all the tools to allow something like this. Uh, to happen. And when you have the fact that some of these actors want a, re a, a war where the U.S., for example, goes to war with Iran, among other things, the ability to attribute, um, you, know, you know, cyber attacks of any scale to any entity at all. And uh, this is a big problem because when these alleged hacks take place, whether it's blamed on Russia, Iran or China, the headline will blame these countries. But if you actually read the article itself, they don't actually have the evidence to make that case. They say, we believe it's this country um, or that it's a group affiliated with this country and their reasoning ranges from, you know, they'll say things like we have medium probability that it's, you know, they're tied to Iran and, you know, all these um, 
you know, uh, phrases that show that they don't actually have evidence. And then there's an effort to manufacture consent um, potentially for military action based on based on all of this stuff. So it's definitely very alarming and people should be paying attention to it when you consider that you have the biggest banks involved, the biggest intelligence agencies, um, and some of the biggest tech companies in the world. And another thing that this WEF group is, is seeking um, is for uh, banks, banking regulators and intelligence agencies to essentially fuse their operations under the guise of cybersecurity. And the more you think about that, the more insane it is an insane policy yeah, bringing it together under one umbrella and of course we even heard nikki haley who's a you know certainly uh the neocons absolutely love nikki haley right now pushing her big time she over the past couple of weeks has called mm -hmm. for this lack of anonymity on the web wants everyone to be registered as you're using the internet right yeah yeah and so have people you know media personality personalities like uh jordan peterson for example has pushed for the same end of anonymity online right. um and you also have people um like elon musk uh who bought twitter um you know why he was buying twitter saying that we have to verify all humans and essentially you know uh, uh, allegedly to control the bot issue on twitter uh, but there's this broad push um, essentially everywhere you look um, from the power elite to end online anonymity. And people are obviously resisting that because it changes uh, the nature of the Internet and supercharges the surveillance capabilities already built into to a hugely significant degree. Um, and it, it's a bigger problem when you consider that the Department of Justice specifically has a pre-crime program that they've been operating since the Trump administration called DEEP, uh, where people have literally been arrested for things they've posted on social media. Um, someone was even killed, I think, a few uh, months ago for uh, Facebook posts he made about Joe Biden and then was swatted and shot in the street in front of his house for posts he made on social media, um, tying all of this to your government ID, considering, you know, all of those factors as it relates to U.S. law enforcement and the Department of Justice, which, again, is partnered with all of these things, is, a, is an extremely awful idea. And, idea that, and the fact that you have all these financial services entities involved at the same time there's this push for digital ID, not just for the Internet, but to tie your digital ID to your banking uh, through uh, central bank digital currencies or heavily regulated stable coins and deposit tokens. I mean, uh, programmable money. I mean, the, the implications here are huge. And there's obviously a lot of resistance from certain quarters of the U.S. population and, and elsewhere against the digital ID push and the CBDC push. Uh, but have the Internet go down for X amount of time uh, because of some massive cyber attack? And they bring it back and say, oh, well, we have to know who you are. And now the only way to get online is to use our digital ID. Um, you know, they're going to get the kind of fast, rapid onboarding and mass adoption that they are seeking for those programs. Wow. Now, you believe that this cyber attack is a false flag operation. Is it is it your concern that Israel would want the United States to attack Iran first, that they wouldn't be able to do this? What does your reporting show on that side of it? Um, so it's not really just my reporting, you know, it's reporting from mainstream media outlets and also uh, th uh, things that Mossad directors have openly said in interviews is that for the past 20 years, they have all uh, Mossad has had almost unlimited funding uh, and energy directed towards Iran regime change policy. And that a key component of that, according to former Mossad director Mayor Dagan, among others, is getting the U.S. to strike Iran first. And there's been a push for a long time from, you know, the neocon sectors 
uh, within the United States to have uh, the U.S. preemptively strike Iran, among other things. And you had pushes uh, coming from some of the biggest donors to the GOP, for example, Sheldon Adelson, when he was still alive, the biggest uh, donor uh, to the Republican Party and also to Trump. Uh, was also pushing for preemptive military action against Iran. You know, he isn't necessarily around anymore, but that type of policy idea has been floated for a very long time. And after the assassination of Qasem Soleimani, uh, the IRGC uh, general, who who was very famous, um, there was... uh, rhetoric coming from Mike Pompeo when he was CIA director and also Trump that if Iran launched any sort of retaliation, including a cyber attack, they would respond with military action to Iran. So there has been a lot of um, fear mongering about exactly this. And of course, it's important to keep in mind that next year, the exact year when the the WEF uh, managing director has predicted this attack is going to take place is an election year in the United States. And a lot of the same rhetoric about some imminent cyber attack, whether from Iran, Russia and or China uh, was being what was being uh, utilized to a significant degree in the 2020 election as well. And you actually had um, what I've argued is an Israeli intelligence front company, a cybersecurity company called Cyber Reason, uh, was gaming out and conducting simulations with DHS and some of our top law enforcement and intelligence agencies, uh, how hackers could disrupt the 2020 election, have the election canceled and martial law declared, exactly what hackers would need to do. A lot of stuff going on. And most concerning thing about this, I would argue, besides the WEF warnings, is that you have a series of entities, many of which are tied to foreign intelligence, um, sitting on our on the most critical infrastructure systems in the United States, uh, have access to those systems. And other groups have given access to those systems to people that haven't even been vetted by our own government. It's madness. And is that tied to the CTIL files, which Michael Schellenberger, journalist Michael Schellenberger, uh, released earlier this week? We covered it extensively here on the show yesterday. The revelations that these CTIL files stand for Cyber Threat Intelligence League. And he claims that these revelations are like worse than the Twitter files, worse than Facebook. And that basically they, they, uh, has, it's a global plan for censorship. Um, according to these documents, the United States and U.K. military contractors. But I think, is that all tied to this? And I think you believe there's a huge piece missing from the reporting from Michael Schellenberger. It's almost like they conveniently Mm -hmm. left out one major piece of this story. Can you enlighten our audience as to what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So I wrote about the CTI League in August of 2020 um, because of, uh, this was before they really even got into the missing. So they were founded in March 2020, um, and their main founder in the public face of the organization for years is an Israeli intelligence operative called Ohad Zaydenberg, and um, who also has uh, been attributed numerous times in, in U.S. mainstream media reports as blaming various cyber attacks on Iran while working for a cybersecurity company tied to the Israeli government called Clear Sky. Um, but the CTI League wasn't created, its initial mission was, was not related to, to targeting mis, alleged misinformation at all. It was uh, a, alleged, uh, volunteering to, to protect 
uh, the critical infrastructure of U.S. hospitals, pharmaceutical companies, and health insurance companies, um, and other corporations in the United States pro bono for free. It's very odd that you would have a group right as a crisis hits, right, the COVID-19 uh, crisis starts, and you have this company uh, run by a former former intelligence agency is still collaborating with intelligence, foreign, by the way, not American, offering to protect critical American health infrastructure for free. People like this do not work for free. And the right. other people whoa, 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 that co-founded this group with him. Whoa, mm -hmm. so, so an Israeli intelligence guy um, forms this company as the head of this company and says, we're going to take care of American hospitals, dams, uh, water infrastructure. Dams come later. Oh, okay. Dams but... come later, but it was first health infrastructure. And they partnered with CISA, which is the independent agency operating under DHS um, that's supposed to protect critical infrastructure, including election infrastructure, uh, but also things like uh, water systems, the power grid, all sorts of things like that, as well as hospitals. And the CTI League, created by Zadenberg, uh, partners with them directly to protect all of this critical infrastructure. Misinformation, what Schellenberger and Taibbi have covered, is the side gig of the CTI League. Their main thing is to get on all these critical infrastructure systems, allegedly to protect them. But no one knows who works for the CTI League, really, because in order to join it and get access to all of these systems, you don't have to be vetted by CISA or the U.S. federal government. You have to be vetted by Ohad Zadenberg and the other co-founders um, who play a much more minor role than him in the organization who are affiliated with either uh, Mike. Microsoft or a U.S. Uh, government uh, contractor called Okta. So you have these these guys deciding who gets access to these systems uh, and you know who doesn't. But it's it could anyone could get through that essentially. You know it's it's extremely reckless, extremely reckless. And beyond that, uh, it's not just hospitals anymore. As you mentioned, it's expand to dams, it's expand to water systems, and also nuclear reactors in the United States. So you have a foreign intelligence founded or nonprofit being offered access to all of these critical systems in the United States. It's insane. And, and it's not really the only company that's like this. So the other uh, company I mentioned earlier, Cyber Reason, that did these simulations about uh, election doomsday uh, with DHS and, and the FBI and, and, and whatnot, uh, they have access to some of the most critical infrastructure of the U.S. military. And a backdoor to all of it, essentially, and uh, it's not run by American citizens. How is this being allowed? I mean, how is this being allowed? And I mean, we know the deep connections between Israel and the United States, and we know the Israel lobby in the United States. But this is this goes deeper than that. And why do you think it's why would Michael Schellenberger leave out that part of the story? It sounds to me like a limited hangout. I mean, I know that your website is called <laughs> right. Like, I mean, this is like you know the distraction over here. Let's just focus on misinformation. But this other massive piece of the story is that they have access to American infrastructure. Foreign governments have access to American infrastructure. Israeli government has access to American infrastructure. Well, it's not just the Israelis either, because, again, we don't know who was given access through the CTI League to these systems. Any nationality could have it. You oh, know, so we have no idea because they're not open about it.
Yeah, it's it, it's an, an extremely reckless policy. It's worth pointing out, too, that the head of CISA that oversaw this partnership with CTI League is an ex, uh, ex-head of cybersecurity at Microsoft. And you have these soft affiliations um, with some of the other co-founders. And, of course, Microsoft being uh, arguably heavily, heavily compromised by Israeli intelligence by Jeffrey Epstein and Maxwell. Um, I've done a lot of reporting on that with um Ghislaine Maxwell's sisters being heavily involved um, with Microsoft through some of their companies. And then uh, Jeffrey Epstein going on Microsoft Russia conferences, um, being very involved, of course, with Bill Gates and also the chief technology officer of Microsoft for many years, Nathan Mervold. Um, Just totally unreal. So um, what's going on here with CTI League is I think is very significant. And I'm I'm very um, disappointed that I mean, I would like to give Schellenberger the benefit of the doubt and just hope he was not aware of what the CTI League does beyond misinformation. But I mean, if you go to the CTI League website, it's very obvious that they do a lot more beyond, um, you know, the misinformation side of things uh, that their main focus is this alleged pro bono protection of critical American infrastructure. And what's also significant about this happening in the COVID era is that just as CTI League partnership with CISA, uh, the HHS in the U.S. cut hospital budgets um, that were supposed to help pay for their cybersecurity and IT um, maintenance. So, you know, at the same time that all this COVID stuff is going on, they don't have people protecting their IT systems as far as comes along and offers their services for free. So a lot of hospitals wouldn't necessarily take that or took it because, you know, government policy did it essentially necessity for them to do so. And also among in the farm they ended up partnering with Pfizer some of the things there as well. So this is not just the corporate. This is not just the public sector. They're protecting from cybersecurity. So, you know, anyone who wants to the CTI doesn't really sit there. There are malfeasance there. Why would they not practice similar malfeasance since they're alleged protection of the systems in the United States? Feeds a bit dodgy, so I shall I shall cut it off at that point because I'm 
it's only a couple of more minutes to run anyway. So I think they're they're in the process of wrapping the interview up. So there you go. There's a, it's a security issue with uh, with Israeli companies offering to do, do spray in to security and critical infrastructure uh, just at the time when the budget's cut for security and critical infrastructure. So there's a momentum in the direction of the offer to do it for free. But then if you take up that offer, then you're giving foreign intelligence agencies access to your critical infrastructure. So it's not necessarily a good idea. You're better off paying the money and having having someone from the USA do it for you uh, and vetting everybody properly. So there's more to this than just yeah. Don't don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Really, it's a uh, it's one of those things where if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. That's the way that that's the way that Facebook does it. It's like anything that's for free on the internet or in terms of technology, if you're not paying for it, you are the product. If they're giving it to you for free, you are the product. They're doing something with your data, or they're doing something with another piece, a piece of information or whatever, some, something they can put together. If you take one set of data from one place, you add it to another set of data that's coming for free from another place, then you've got something you can sell because it's it's a value add. So you sell that to another company. They then process it and add data from another one, another free place. Then they've got a value add they can sell. So they sell it to another company and it just goes on like that. That's the way the free stuff works. So it's not necessarily a, a good idea to do things for for free. It's a business model, but uh, you need to have some kind of privacy on some kind of read the terms and conditions. I don't read terms and conditions, generally speaking, so I'm a hypocrite when I say this. But some of the time you do have to read the terms and conditions because it's somewhere buried in there. It'll tell you exactly what they're doing. And in Europe and in the UK, we've got data protection rules where they have to tell you what they're doing with your data. So I'm not sure how it works in the States. I think it's a bit looser in the States, but uh, you do need to read the terms and conditions. So we've got Jay Bear in the chat now. We've got Gear Jammer. Mr. Raw came in. So we've got a few people more. We've got seven or eight people in the chat room now. And uh, just a reminder, Revolution Radio is listener supported, so we do need help to keep us two servers running. There's Studio A, Studio B, running more or less 24 hours a day, plus the Hawk's Nest, which is a server we do music shows on and experimental shows. I used to do Technocratic Tyranny Blues on there for a while last year, this time last year. Feels like longer ago than that, but uh, I'm sure it was only last year. So I'm not going to do any 
any music shows leading up to Christmas, maybe between Christmas and New Year, I'll do some shows. And New Year's New Year's evening, I might do a music show on the Hawks Nest. So we'll see. But I've got a I've also got a two hour show booked in starting on Wednesday. Just had the final final conversation with Willow and it's booked in which means I can experiment for a month on Studio A on Tuesday afternoons at two Wednesday afternoons at two o'clock. So I'll I'll do some messing about for December and then I'll I'll come to some kind of conclusion about how I want the short room to happen and then it'll kind of happen based on that format in January onwards. I think it's going to be a fairly standard kind of 20 minutes of me, 40 minutes of of top topic-related audio or video in each hour, but it might also turn... It, it, will, it will have some conversations in it. So if anybody wants to have a conversation with me on, on the radio... Now's the time to get in touch and book in a slot for January or for December. And if you know anybody who might want to have a conversation on the radio, then uh, point them in my direction. It's f- email address is free association radio show at protonmail.com. That's probably the easiest way to get hold of me at the moment. And uh, you find me on Skype as well, Open Philosopher, but there's two Skype accounts and one of them I can't get into at the moment. So you need to connect with me on both of them. And then I'll just respond on the one that works. So what else was I going to talk to? I was posting I was posting uh, clips of, a, of the band called Kiss, a rock band based on a science fiction comic. 70s rock band fairly obviously because science fiction based rock bands only really happen well they didn't really just happen in the 70s but the but kiss happened that way and the red hot chili peppers happened that way as well i think they were based on a on a comic strip of some sort or at least the idea maybe they just maybe they just ripped off kiss <laughs> but they were supposedly uh, aliens who'd come to Earth to save the planet using rock and roll as their medium, which is about as cheesy as you can get. And I was watching uh, a gig on YouTube from 1998 before I started the show, and the, the drummer looked, I mean, for everybody made up with big shoulder pads and Axe-shaped bass and everything theatrical, everything that there is to be theatrical was theatrical with Kiss. So it was all fake. They probably weren't singing. They probably weren't even playing the instruments. They looked like they might be some of the time playing the instruments and they might some of the time be doing the harmonies, but I suspect there was a lot of backing tapes and musicians behind screens going on with all of that because it's impossible to jump around in platform boots and play play the guitar and sing at the same time so i wouldn't i wouldn't even want to think about doing that wouldn't want to think about it 
So, God love them for, for doing it. Somebody's got to do it because everything that can exist does exist. Uh, every every combination of stuff. So, a man made up as a fox playing the drums exists because that's, that's what the guy behind the drums in Kiss was made up to look like. But uh, he looked like a very bored fox to me. So I nearly went to see Kiss one one time. I think it was about that time, the 1998 World Tour. They played Finsbury Park, but it was the same day that Gay Pride was happening at uh, Clapham Common. I think it was Clapham Common. Or it might have might have been, I can't remember. can't remember. I'm sure it was South, South West London somewhere. Might have been... Hearn Park, but I'm pretty sure it was Clapham Common. Anyway, I had to make a choice, and my friends all wanted to go to my, my friends all wanted to go to Pride, so I went to Pride with them. I should probably have gone to see Kiss. It would have cost me thirty quid, but I, I probably spent fifteen quid at Gay Pride, and, and the music's rubbish at Gay Pride usually. But uh, the atmosphere is good. It's a good day, but. The, mu- the music is all lip-synced people miming to to disco specials and uh, classics. I went to one that was in uh, East London at Victoria Park, which was Alison Moyer was headlining, and that was very, very good. That was a really good day. can't remember who else was on, but I know Alison Moyer was definitely headlining. And that was a full live show. There was no, there was no miming going on there. It was, it was a real show, which is the way I like it. I like, I like theater and I like rock and roll, but I like my rock and roll to be live and raw and a bit gritty. Having said that, I am supposed to be going to see, uh, a Genesis tribute band. There's a there's a theatre just around the corner from me called the the New Time Theatre, which is an opera house really. So there's got there's a lot of ballet and opera, and then they've got the pantomime happening for kind of a month out of the year. But it's run by volunteers, and uh, in March next year there's a a Genesis tribute act. Happening there, I've arranged to go and see that. See that with some folks I know, and that won't be raw. It's not doesn't even really count as rock and roll. But uh, I'm not a huge Genesis fan, but I think it'll be a good night out, and it's a good way to. It's a, I've never been to that theatre before, so it's a good way to just have a look at the theatre as much as anything. I could go around on a tour. But uh, it's just as easy and just as much fun to to go and see some rock and roll tribute or pop tribute, progressive rock tribute, really, because it's a uh, it's an early Genesis tribute band rather than a later Genesis tribute band. So it, it'll be more suppers ready than it will be. Uh, mama and all that sort of stuff. 
which is if I have to pick a a version of Genesis, it's definitely the Peter Gabriel Genesis that I like. Phil Collins, not so much. Although he's got a great voice, and he, he's he's got some he, there's some good ideas in there. But uh, I prefer I prefer Peter Gabriel dressed as a flower. That works for me. And uh, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway works for me. And uh, Supper's Ready. And and The Musical Box. And uh, all of that sort of stuff. The, in the Cage. All of those things I like about Genesis. Whereas the later stuff, I didn't even pay attention to the last 25 years of Genesis. So I'm, uh, I used to hang out with a guy who was a big fan when I was about 16, 17. And uh, we ended up going to see Peter Gabriel a couple of times. Uh, once at the new, once at Newcastle City Hall, and then I went to Birmingham to the NEC in Birmingham to see Peter Gabriel on, on the Sledgehammer tour. So that shows you how long ago it is. It's nineteen eighty-four, probably. So what's that? About four, forty years ago, or something, something like that. But, that would make me 18, so that's roughly roughly about 40 years ago. Very good gigs, very theatrical, very physical. I think he was swinging around on scaffolding for a lot of the gig with a radio mic attached to him. Uh, and nicely put together. Yeah, Captain Fred, yeah, um, I watched... Uh, a, a concert that was on it's on uh, YouTube I think it was from Paris about a year ago that was that was a Genesis tour it may, it may have been more recent than a year ago because I think they've just finished touring but it's literally the last oh, the the O2 in London was the last gig of the of the last ever Genesis tour and that was about a month or two ago uh, but Phil Collins' voice was short, but he's about 80 years old. He was in a wheelchair. He was obviously just about getting through the show. Uh, and it was disappointing, but I mean, people do get old and your voice go, your voice does change. But if it was up to me, I wouldn't have done the tour. <laughs> I would have just said, no, I can't do it. And, uh, Sat in my bath chair in in the conservatory window in the old folks home where they where I've been living in Switzerland for the last ten years or whatever it is he's been doing. So I've I've rediscovered Podbean in the last week as well. I know I say this a lot on here, but I actually have rediscovered Podbean this time. So I think I'm doing regular regular shows again on Podbean from now until Christmas at least. I'm gonna I'm gonna start being experimental again with the formats and maybe shift shift some things around. I've got two hours on a Wednesday, as I said, that's that's booked in that'll be on the radio. So I've got three hours of content altogether for the week, plus whatever I do on Podbean, and that's enough. I mean I can mess around. I've got a I've got a show called uh, An Afternoon of Metaphysical Speculation, which I may roll into the the new Wednesday 
radio show. So I've been listening to a lot of uh, A Course in Miracles. And I want to, at some point, start playing a bits of A Course in Miracles on here. So I'm going to dispense with Shunya Murti for a while and just do and just do that. But I might save it for the Wednesday show. I'll keep this one 40 minutes 20, roughly, or half an hour, half an hour. And I'll, I'll, I'll just use use the extra time on a Wednesday for A Course in Miracles, unless I've got somebody to interview or have a conversation with or whatever. So that's now all confirmed with Willow, and we should be, should be up and running this Wednesday. I haven't got a, a thing to do this Wednesday. What I might do is invite Lenny on for two hours, if he's around. And if not, I've got some Doctor Who reviews that I can play that are that are quite entertaining. I've been I've been watching a lot of Doctor Who stuff recently, just because it's the 60th anniversary, and I've been listening to a lot of Mayor Brussel, so I might use a bit of Mayor Brussel in that show as well. It's all too it's too long for an hour. If you've if you've got 45 minutes of material, that's that's like if you take the breaks, the break off, it leaves about ten minutes for me, which is although it's not an ego-based show, ten minutes isn't isn't a lot of time to develop anything. So an hour just turns out to be not enough when I'm using 40, 45 minutes of somebody else's material, but two hours is enough because I can do I can split it into two chunks and do two topics, but spread it out over two hours and just mix it up a little bit so it's not it doesn't become just one video for 45 minutes it becomes like 20 minutes and then 20 minutes and then 20 minutes of me which i think is better or 10 minutes at the beginning 10 minutes at the end however it works we'll figure it out it's live it's uh it's by the seat of your pants and we used to call it inspirational speaking back in the days when I was when I was training as a medium at the Spiritualist Association on a Monday evening. I used to go on a Monday for about a year, well, nine months. The Spiritualist Association used to, this is 20 years ago or more. It's about 2000, just after 2001, 2002, something like that. I just got back from New Zealand and I more or less went straight into going to the local spiritualist churches and then I started to train as a medium and I eventually started doing uh, mediumship demonstrations but it wasn't really my thing. I wasn't comfortable. It was good stuff but, it, but uh, we used to call it inspirational speaking anyway flying by the skin of your, of your pants, basically, working it out as you go along, but with an audience, with an audience of 30 people or 25 people or whatever it was. Um, in three different churches I used to do. Uh, so I used to do Hornsey Road, uh, Camden Road, and Stockwell once a month each, roughly, and they give me a tenant to cover travel expenses. 
So I never made, I never actually made any money from it, but uh, it was interesting. And uh, it kind of showed me how the dynamics of the spiritualist church work, which is you, you get used to people because people, be, people are regulars. If you're working in a church doing readings, people are regulars. So it's not, it's more psychic than it is kind of spiritual uh, evidence of life after death kind of. Yeah, the, spirit, the, the Spiritualist Association of, of Great Britain Captain Fred was in Belgrave Square, which is uh, a very expensive part of London, because uh, it was it was set up in Victorian times. So there's a there's a room in there called the Arthur Conan Doyle room, and there's a room in there called the the Oliver Lodge room, and then upstairs, well they do lectures they do lectures in those rooms. Downstairs they've got a a meeting room for public demonstrations every day. I used to go for for their demonstrations about once or twice a week, and then I was going to their their training meetings, which were mon- Monday evenings, the one that I went to. I don't think they're in Belgrave Square anymore because the building would be very, very expensive. I think they probably sold up the building and moved to uh, somewhere that's way less expensive. It was a very, very nice building. Big, big staircases, big lecture rooms. Very, very nice building. Ornate as well. The uh, the, the product of, a, of the British Empire during Victorian times. Uh, I'll have a look and see if the... I don't. The Spiritualist Association will be online. They still exist, but I don't think they're in Belgrave Square anymore. Let me just have a quick look. I'm not going to have time to do this now before the show finishes, but I shall. Uh, I shall post it in the chat. So there's two. There's two places to train in London. There's a. There's a place in South Kensington, which is uh, the College of Psychic Studies, which I think was set up at about the same time and the Spiritualist Association. And I went to both of them for quite a while, uh, doing doing bits and pieces, like not running workshops, but going to workshops. And then there was a Theosophical Society, which is more kind of uh, high-level philosophical stuff. And they used to do public lectures there on a, on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. So that's pretty much it from me for now. Uh, if you can chip in to help out with Rev Radio, you'll find a place to make a donation uh, Revolution dot Radio. And if you just look on the menu, you'll find a donations tab and a, a few different ways to make a donation. Do what you can. I'll come down and have a conversation in the chat room. Uh, all being well, I'll see you next week, and I'll see you on. Wednesday for the new show. It's called it's called Free Association, so it'll go into the same archive as this one. So everything will be in one place, but it gives me a little bit bit of time to experiment between now and Christmas, and then we'll settle down into a format after Christmas. All right, thanks for listening. Um, see you on Wednesday.
Revolution Radio. Mountain High Time, two hours of an organization to the madness, discussing the ever-changing dynamics of being both physically and mentally Discussing prepared for a plethora of possible outcomes to our future and present. A look into the latest technologies, new scientific discoveries, and how they might be used in connection to the human domain and controlling it, ancient cultures and places. Be warned. This is an opinionated look at headlines. This is guests that are not afraid to question the narrative. A little bit of crazy ramblings of a stoner conspiracy factors that pushes constitutional concepts. The place and the time are the same, another dimension we call Mountain High Time. Saturdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Mountain High Time. Right here on Revolution.Radio, where information never sleeps and truth breaks the spell. I am Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney, and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Friday evenings, 8 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt. Are you interested in the paranormal? 